Hi again, everyone. Welcome to Radio MVP Sports Podcast. Tim and Anthony with you, sitting on my back porch. Episode 76. Big episode here for you as we head towards the football season. Uh, We're going to talk about all types of football today as uh, we're actually going to have an opportunity to uh, connect with Gemma Bastiani from Melbourne, Australia. And we're going to talk to her for a second time about Australian rules football a little bit later, Anthony. And uh, I want to also talk about the Premier League. Mm -hmm. That football begins this week. They just won the Championship of Europe in June. Premier League begins this week on the 9th. It's amazing. And, uh, matter of fact, I was talking to AFL just a few months ago about uh, Gemma joining us mm-hmm. here in a little bit. And they're already into, they've completed 20 rounds of 23 rounds. Holy crap. Yeah, and their playoffs, which are called the finals, mm-hmm. will be beginning in September. So, it is just amazing. Plus, our football season begins at the late August. Mm-hmm. And we have two games. And we'll get more into that as the season progresses. And we're going to get talk to a lot more people coming up about our football season so uh if you haven't heard already very easy to find us westernreserveradio.com uh tune in app uh 365 live you name it there's a lot of different opportunities to find us and we're going to be on am 600 wrkq i believe is what is rqk or something i forget they changed the the, yeah. the uh call letters the yeah i should look i should memorize it by now but i didn't um but uh we'll have jim on here shortly and uh we're gonna try to get others as the uh, season progress and you know i've been uh Threatening to get Mark Means on here for a long time, and one of these days I'm going to follow through. <laughs> He's even asked me when I'm coming on the podcast. It's only on. been over two years, and I laugh at him. I said, soon. <laughs> soon. So uh, all that going on, plus the Indians, uh, you know, going down the stretch here in the last uh, about seven weeks of the season. And all right. I officially now will look at standings and pay attention to uh, other games. Well, are you scoreboard watching tonight? I, I will start You're today. Start I will start watching? today. I really will start tomorrow yep. when they play Minnesota. Yep. And we'll go from there. But that's where I'll start actually paying attention to standings and what's going on. Matter of fact, the Indians are potentially in a two-game doubleheader sweep here yep. today. And just show you how strange baseball is, Anthony. You get – we play the Angels, and they score like seven runs a game, and they yep. sweep them. They come up against Texas, and it's become a pitcher's duel. They lose the first game. Mike Miner on on his top yep. of his game gives up only three hits. Uh, they lose one to nothing. They win. You know they get the rain out. They play the doubleheader today. Uh, they win the first game two to nothing. Light, a home run nothing. by yeah, Ramirez late. in the seventh inning. Ramirez hits a home run in the second inning of the game two. They're up one nothing, and that game is into like the seventh yeah. inning now. It's bottom of the seventh right now, and it's still one to nothing. So it just shows you you, you never know what's going to happen a in a baseball game. Five runs scored the whole series between the teams. Yeah, that's incredible. I that's, mean, the pitching of the Indians has been phenomenal. I mean, you're going to lose one to think ball games. I hate saying that. You're going to win them too. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's just the way baseball is. You might score a 7-1 game and lose and win a one nothing ball game and vice versa or win them all by one mm-hmm. run. Yeah, it's just it's, it's nuts. But, yeah, it's time to pay attention to the standings and scoreboard watch as uh, the Indians uh, head into their next 10 games against the Minnesota Twins starting tomorrow night with Clevenger on the mound. So it should yeah. be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's uh, obviously you took care of business against the Angels. Um <laughs> In quite easy fashion. I don't think it, there was no game in that three-game set that was really competitive at all. I don't believe Friday, Saturday, or Sunday was – you never felt like the Angels had a chance. You just – right. you know, you knew the Indians were the much better team. And, unfortunately, the Angels' lack of pitching showed uh, with two more injuries. And, and then, you know, you scored at least six runs every game. And you come back against Texas, like you said, and it's been – clawing and fighting and scratching and it's given the team a good taste of what playoff baseball is going to be like because you're going to have these a lot of these games in the playoffs are going to be low scoring very rarely will you have a game like the Indians did in game 2 against the Yankees a couple years ago 10-9 or 9-8 you won't have many of those in in October um, you got to do everything you can to scratch out a win um and it's been pretty impressive today. Uh, driving home last night, I actually went up to the game and her the rain out, and uh, it, it's amazing to me that there, there are some people that are just never happy. We're driving home, nothing went on, and they're already complaining about we can't do a bullpen game, we can't do a bullpen game, we can't do a bullpen game. You know what? You know, police act's going to be out, and we're going to use the bullpen all of game one. And I'm like, what happens if he goes out and pitches well? Like, he's done every start year except for one. And then it's, you know, it, what people got to realize is, you were doing a bullpen game either today or Sunday against Minnesota. Today you get to 26, man, because of the double hitter. Sunday you only have 25. So today made more sense to do a bullpen game, and look, you're going to have to lose from time to time, and um, it's it's incredible that the Indians bullpen has held them to no runs on what five hits in three games. Oh yeah, they have not gotten many hits at all against the Indians bullpen. The Indians bullpen is played well all season long and, and, and it really has performed yes all bullpens are going to have their their failing moments no matter who they are uh you know one thing i see with the indians is right now they've they made some changes in in the bullpen combination of injuries slash you know just mm-hmm. up and down type thing uh olsen you know fighting shingle supposedly and uh you know he has been a player who has been either hot or cold when he comes into a game. Yep. He either for, throws four straight balls and walks a guy or two, and or then he gets, you know, maybe guys out, maybe not. Yeah. Or he comes and shuts, the, shuts, shuts them down. So we'll see what happens. I mean, he's he, like I said, he's on the on the IL uh, along with some others. They made some moves. Uh, obviously, we've seen, you know, Salazar come and make his one appearance this year, and uh, he's been sent home to Tampa. Yeah. So we will not see Danny Salazar probably ever again in a Cleveland no, Indians uniform. No, I and they, you hit the nail on the head there. Um, the Indians for two years gave him every 
opportunity. Every single opportunity. And I don't know if you caught this yesterday or today. Um, the Cleveland Plain dealer came out with like a little insider that nobody else reported it. And it basically has been saying that for two years the Indians have put up with Danny Salazar no matter what issue it was. Uh, And it's gotten to the point where the Indians sent him to test and doctors all across America. And every time it came back and it was, you have some bumps and bruises, but you're not, it's nothing that will hold you out for... It's a mental thing with him. He just was not mentally prepared to play baseball any longer. And that's what happened. He doesn't trust his body to survive the season. And And I think unfortunately, you know, well, unfortunately he has been susceptible to injuries. Yeah. Either the shoulder, the elbow, uh, obviously groin pulls and stuff like that have uh, prevented him from playing. And I think the bottom line is he really wasn't a high. It was, it was kind of like rolling the dice. Yeah. Sometimes you come up snake eyes and you're disappointed. And sometimes you roll seven and you're thrilled. And that's exactly the way I look at it. They they rolled the dice with him. It didn't work out. You move on. It's not like he was big plans in, no. in the Indians organization. No, he was not if he be came back, him. if he came back and played well, great. That's that's aces. But yeah. chances of that happening were slim, and you just move on. And you know he'll have his opportunity. Somebody out there in baseball will take a chance on him next year when he becomes a free agent. And so be it. Yeah. It's, and uh, if it's the Indians, just because uh, no one else will, I doubt it. But it's possible. I'll pull that that chance out there. But, yeah, they'll add depth if they can. Yeah, you know, yeah. if it's it's a minor league contract, da 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 type scenario, yes. I just, and that's what he's going to get no matter where he goes. He's not going to make the two, three million dollars that he's made the last few years on the injured reserve. It's just I the just, way it works. I just think, you know, from what I've read and heard, um, he was dealing with the growing pull tightness before the start. Didn't tell anybody. You can see both sides of the story. Why don't you tell us you were hurt? We can't throw you out there like that. Well, that game for Danny Salazar, he hasn't pitched in two years. You finally get your shot. You're at home. You're against the Astros. You want to pitch. You want to show what you can do. And I think the Indians, from what I heard, Frank kind of just got frustrated and sent him to Tampa Bay and said, you, you need to get right. And hopefully, you know, for Danny's sake, that he can get right and, you know, catch on it's, with another team. Very similar to the same situation they had with a very healthy um, Bauer. Yes. Okay. Bauer was everyone's favorite player five days or every fifth day. Yep. And the other four days were very difficult to deal with. And they dealt with them. And it worked well for the most part. And he performed well for the most part. Uh, and that's one of the reasons, you know, he's not here no longer. And quite honestly, you had to make a move to make this outfield stronger and better, and they did. And I'm not, I'm not rolling my eyes, thinking, mm-hmm. oh, we got bad players back because it's been what uh, a week, ten a days, week, a week tomorrow. Yeah, a week tomorrow. Uh, just give give Puig and give Reyes an opportunity to uh, get acclimated to their new team and everything going on. It's just going to take time. They're going to have their days, and they're going to they're going to get better. I'm not too concerned. All right, let's turn the page away yeah. from uh, baseball. It took a little longer than I expected, but let's talk about your past weekend yes. real quickly. You went down to Canton to yeah. celebrate the uh, Broncos yes. and their inductees. Yeah, talk about that. We really don't take the chance to realize what we have in Northeast Ohio. 
we have the mecca of pro football. You know, like when you talk to players, their goal is one word, Canton. And that's and that's in our backyard. Last year you and I had a chance to go down and it was special. Hopefully we'll be back we'll be back in this year in a couple of weeks. But when it was announced that Pat Bowen and Champ Bailey, who was my second favorite Bronco of all time, were going to be enshrined, uh, there was no doubt. Uh, that's that's the weekend. And then when word came out the Broncos were playing, you make a big weekend out of it. And that's what we did. It's it was it's for Champ Bailey. It's for Pat Bowen. But if you listen to Bailey's speech and uh, Bowen's enshrinement video. And the game. This week was for Broncos country. And it was a chance for our fans and our franchise to celebrate what we've had under Mr. Bullen. You know, we've talked about it a couple months ago, what he meant to the NFL, Thursday Night Football competition, Sunday Night Football, the deal with NBC. Seven Super Bowl appearances and seven non-winning seasons in 35 years. That's pretty incredible. And the numbers go on and on. Uh, Champ Bailey made five playoff appearances, four division titles, one AFC championship. It was just, it was special to have the Denver Broncos. And a positive note, the last couple of years have not been very fun. But it was an honor to have the Broncos as the main spotlight this weekend. Um, well, let's put it this way. Let's talk about that. Yeah. I, I, don't get me wrong. Obviously, Making the Hall of Fame and being inducted is huge, no matter yes. who you are. Let's talk about your experience going to the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. inducting, but going to the the game, yeah. too. You went to the Hall of Fame game yeah. where the Broncos were playing. Yes. Uh, just talk about experiencing that, going for the induction ceremony yeah. and going to the game that celebrates the, the start of the new NFL season. You know, Tim, it was just, I kept thinking, like, this is special. We're very lucky that at the spur of the moment we can say, you know what, let's go to Canton for the game. Let's go for the shine. It was just special. And it wasn't even so much about the guys getting in. Uh, for my family, and my uncle made this remark walking in the stadium. He said, you know, this is what makes the Bronco Bond special. This is what makes the Bronco Bond special. He said, you know, the games are fun and the enshrinement ceremony is fun and it's cool and all, but like Broncos football to our families, a little more than a game. It's what brings everybody together, and the good times and the bad times. And you know, we've had a lot of my football memories are with my uncle and my aunt and my cousins rooting on the Denver Broncos. It's it was just, and that's how you became a fan of them is through yeah, your family, my uncle, through your uncle. My uncle uh, grew up. He he did not have a. A uh, favorite NFL team, and he was a he's a diehard Ohio State fan, and he always said whatever NFL team that Randy Gratishar goes to, he's a local kid from Salem. He said I'm going to follow him, and if just so happens Randy Gratishar got drafted by the Denver Broncos, uh, had a pretty good career, and ever since that day when uh, Gratishar got drafted, my uncle's been hooked, and it's uh, you know when I was growing up the Browns weren't around. They weren't a team. You know, I was five years old when the Browns moved. In 95, they moved. So for four years there, I had nobody to root for. And nobody in my family was a Steelers fan. I didn't know about the Browns. And my first ever jersey of any kind was a old school throwback Sammy Weiner jersey. 
And from that day on, on my front porch, I was like, you know what? I'm going to be a Broncos fan. And lo and behold, did I not know, two years later, uh, two and three years later, we'd have uh, the first two world championships. And you're seven, eight years old. You, you're just getting into football. You think, oh, cool, we won the Super Bowl. But now you take a look back and you see that all the struggles my uncle went through as a Broncos fan, losing the Super Bowls, getting blown out in every one of them. You learn the history. And walking out of the stadium that night, I said, yep, this is why I'm a Broncos fan, because these guys right here. And it's, it's an honor that my aunt and uncle get to. I'm blessed to have a relationship with my aunt and uncle that is deeper than just a nephew and an aunt and uncle. You know, it's... I'm getting a little emotional here just thinking about it. It's, you know, like my uncle said, he said, this is what being a Bronco means. Like, this is being, this is what Bronco's is. what fandom is. is. Yeah. It's what fandom yeah, is. No matter what it's team a you're rooting meaning. for. Yeah. Yep. And exactly. speaking of, you know, speaking of fandom, and uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, our conversation with Gemma here coming mm-hmm. up in just a little bit. Matter of fact, we're going to step away for that shortly and uh, come back and wrap up this podcast. But uh, the AFL, you know, I like I mentioned years ago. I was I was a teenager when I first seen uh, Australian rules football, and it was just so uniquely different than anything I've ever seen in my life. You know, them running around on a field that's three hundred yards long and and bouncing a football, you know, mm-hmm. off the ground yeah. and, and continue to run. And my eyes just popped out, <laughs> you know, and, and watching them, you know, punt the ball in through these uh, these goals and uh, learning this game. It has been fun. And, you know, last year, I got back into it again. I've always been a fringe, seen it a few times over the years. And then this past, you know, last season, uh, came across it again and started watching it online. Mm Mm-hmm. And in the process, found out about Mason Cox, yep. the American who actually plays mm-hmm. the game, and he plays for Collingwood. So, naturally, I don't have a connection to anything yeah. in Australia. I have no connection. Yep. Hell, I never even knew where Collingwood was. <laughs> I didn't know where Collingwood was. <laughs> you know, and, uh, well, it's a part of uh, Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And I guess there's like three or four teams or squads or whatever you want to call them that are uh, part of that geographical area. And anyways, so I started rooting for them just because of Mason the American, yeah. Yeah. And it has been a, it's been a joy. And uh, this year, they've been up and down. Mm-hmm. They've had a lot of injuries. As a matter of fact, uh, best wishes out to uh, Mason Cox, who uh, in the last game just came back from injury a week or two earlier. And he missed about... Oh, I would say five to seven games prior, and he uh, injured his eye in the game and had a detached retina, so he's out for the season. Uh, Yeah, he just had surgery this past week, so we wish him the best, but uh, the Collingwood Magpies sit... On the ladder at number six. They're at sixth spot. They're 12 and seven on the season with a percentage of 113.2. Now, the percentage, I can't remember exactly, but it has to do with wins and goals. How many goals? Yeah, they they have some type of formula to average it. And that's really like kind of like the tiebreaker. So we're going to talk to Jim about all that here in a little bit. The Geelong Cats on top of the ladder uh, all season long. And they're now 14 and 5, and they share that top spot. Uh, with the West Coast Eagles, who are the defending mm-hmm. premiership, uh, the Brisbane Lions, the Richmond uh, 
team and uh, the GWS Giants, the Greater Western Sydney Giants. Now, what's the um, scoring system in those games? Really simple. Uh, they have now. I don't know the distance between the, okay. the, the uprights. All right, the goalpost. It's on a big oval. Okay. Okay. And it's around three hundred yards long. So you could put three football fields. Okay. You know, from one end to the other. Yeah. And, uh, anyways, uh, in the middle, they have they have a smaller post, two big posts, and a smaller post. Okay. So two outer posts. If you hit it between those, it's worth a point. Okay. If it goes through the middle, it's worth six. Okay. And that's how they score. And so you kick the, it through. You kick it through. You punt okay. it through. To use a term that you're yeah. familiar with, you're punting it. You're not. You know, you can. Soccer kick it in, mm-hmm. but that doesn't happen very yeah. often. And uh, more like a drop kick, right? Okay, and more uh, well, reg- regular punt, really. But yeah. yeah, you could do it yeah. that way too. I'm sure it's not a problem. Uh, but for the most part, that's how the scoring goes. And uh, we'll get more into that with uh, yeah. Gemma again. But yeah, the uh, Collingwood Magpies set a six. Essendon is at seven, and Adelaide Crows are at eight. And that is your top eight. That's how they make their their. The playoffs, they're the finals. So we'll talk more about that with her. I just want to get that in. And uh, you know what? Why don't we step aside and yep. let's, let's go get Gemma from uh, Melbourne, Australia. Uh, talking with her, I'm talking about AFL just in a moment. It's an opportunity now to talk with Gemma Bastiani. She is the creator and uh, take care of uh, Play On Radio and Australian Jams uh, podcasts. Play On Radio and Australian Jams kind of go together. They take care of all the music side of Play On Radio, and she also takes care of all the footy news coming out of uh, the radio station. As everyone knows, I'm part of Western Reserve Radio here in uh, Youngstown, Ohio, and the same type of thing. It's just hers is based in Melbourne, and she takes care of the music side. We talk care of the sports over here in Ohio. She takes care of the music yeah. and the footy end over in Australia. So uh, just take a moment to talk about the last few, what, about six, seven months since you started to uh, play on radio. Yeah, I think when we last spoke, I just launched the station. So we're kind of in a bit of a different mode now. So launched it in February. It's all about footy and music, my two passions, and the intersection of those two things, particularly in Melbourne. If anyone's been to Melbourne, they know that those two things go together hand in hand. Um, so it's it's a lot of that sort of stuff. So we've kind of uh, got a bunch of new shows on board since we last spoke. This month we just launched the Play On Programmer, which is our artist in residence as well, which I think is really cool. It gives an artist a chance across um, a whole month to put out uh, things that inspire them and things like that and kind of you get to know the artist a little bit more. So that's cool. But on the footy side, there's been a lot happening, particularly last night, a lot happened. So, um, yeah, there's plenty to talk about. You know what? Let's let's talk about the footy side just for a moment here. I know uh, this past week you just had a a, a big event with the uh, How Goods Footy guys. You had a trivia night. How did that go? Yeah, it was so fun. Um, I think those guys and myself balance each other out quite well. Um, they're very energetic and funny and and a bit dopey sometimes, but I take things very seriously. So I think between one another, we were able to put on a really good event. Um, And the winners of that, there was a group of five or six AFLW fans that won that one, actually. Um, And they won a kick to kick with Chloe Malloy, who is um, a big AFLW star. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, hopefully we can do another one soon. 
Yeah, it sounded like a great event. I was uh, kind of jealous because I knew darn well I could never be there. <laughs> Even though I probably no one answer. I just want to have a good time and, then, <laughs> and, uh, and give the most stupid answers possible just because, again, I would not know any of them. Most I likely. mean, uh, for some of the guys' questions, just appealing to them worked. So, you know, you didn't have to be all stats-based like I am. Yeah, uh, and that's good because uh, – over here in the states, I'm I'm, I'm stat based enough. I like to have fun once in a while with all <laughs> the sports that I cover. And this podcast here, I was having fun with my uh, my partner uh, Anthony, and I says we're doing football today. We're doing all types of football because our football season, the American football season, I cover high school sports here. Yeah, and it'll begin here at the end of the August, and it'll run through okay. to uh, it's basically middle of November. And uh, the next 10 weeks will just fly by once that begins. And then I was have a friend of mine in the last year. Well, he kind of introduced me to uh, soccer. I never really was a big soccer fan. About a year ago, I uh, met this guy, and uh, he's originally from England, and uh, he was talking about Liverpool soccer and uh, Liverpool yeah. football club, as they say. They keep telling me to say. And uh, <laughs> anyways, so I ended up following them, and they had an amazing year last year, and it ended in June winning the uh, European Championship. So that was like a big deal. That, and a friend of mine who I just met who was on the previous podcast had an opportunity, and he's not, he's not a journalist. He's really just a huge fan who happens to work at a radio station as uh, like a board op. Yep. And through a friend, Liverpool was did a tour to the United States last month. They were in South Bend, Indiana, which is about three, four hours from here. And he goes, Hey Ronnie, can you get me tech can you give me press pass for this? And sure enough, they got him press pass. And it kind of went viral in a sense. If you ever have a chance, just get on YouTube and look for the clop hug from a journalist. And that is uh my friend who uh who we had on last week who uh, went on, uh, went to a news conference, and at the very end, says, I only, you know, I had two questions to ask. Yes, one kind of normal thing about touring in the United States was going to help the club or help, you know, promote the sport. And he goes, his second question was, can I have a clop hug? <laughs> and, and sure enough, he goes, that's the best second question I ever heard. <laughs> and uh, it is, it's, it's quite funny. And uh, if you have a chance just to uh, YouTube it, uh, yeah, for the Jurgen Klopp hug of a journalist from America. It is quite humorous. And, uh, yeah, I had him on last week. So uh, I talked a little football as they start their brand-new season uh, this past week. And then I talked about our football season coming up here that I'm covering on uh, Western Reserve Radio. And I says, you know, it's a perfect time to talk to uh, Gemma down in Australia to talk about <laughs> – uh, footy because I've been watching it for the last 21 weeks now and uh, actually longer than that as you know I was watching during the uh, women's uh, competition too so yeah let's talk about your team your team's had a uh, an up and down season man and, it, and it's a tough season I know they're young uh, and I'm talking about the Sydney Swans just give yeah. me earlier your thoughts on what you've seen this year out of them and and what makes you excited about the future yeah, so as you know, I'm a very positive Swans fan. Um, we're, we're a team, for context, for people that maybe don't know the Swans overly well, we're a team that has very rarely missed finals, which is not something that happens a lot in Australian rules football. Usually you'll have 
up periods, down periods, and you'll cycle through the top eight. The top eight is the finals. Um, the Swans last missed finals in 2009, and before that it was 2002. So we've consistently been able to make finals, refresh our list, do all that sort of stuff. Um, but coming into this year, it was going to be either we still stuck around in the bottom half of the eight should we have no injuries and things to worry about, but should we cop a lot of injuries it was looking like, yeah, we'll probably miss finals this year so that we can jump back into the eight next year. And we have copped a lot of injuries to a lot of really important players. So in doing that, we've been able to open up, the club has been able to open up um, opportunities for young players to really get their hands on the ball and get into the team consistently, find some form. So last year, when we spoke last time, I was talking about players like Tom McCartan and Ben Ronk and players like that who last year had to come in and play a really important role in a team that is is very consistent and they came in and they really did a good job and Tom McCartan is the youngest player in the competition at the time. Um, he held down the centre-half forward spot for 15 games, which is unheard of, things like that. This year we've had, uh, I think for the past six weeks at least, we've had the youngest and least experienced team of the competition, um, which means we're very, very young, very inexperienced, very few senior players out there. And they've been competitive and it's been really exciting to see what these young players can put together and what their footy brains are like. So James Rowbottom is someone I'm very excited about who was drafted at the end of last year. He is a player that's really clever when it comes to, in terms of team dynamic and things like that. He's going to be a future star of the competition. He's going to be a Brownlow medal. He's going to be that kind of player. And we're getting to see glimpses of, it, glimpses of it this year. Whereas if we hadn't had the injuries that we'd copped, he wouldn't have been playing an inside midfield role, which is where he excels. He would be sitting on the outside and not really getting to do what he really needs to be doing. Same with countless other players as well. So it's been encouraging to see what they can do and the fact that they're very competitive through a lot of games despite having 20 to 30 on average games less experience they're two or three years younger on average than the opposition it's um it's exactly what you want to see and it gives you faith in the recruiting staff at the club gives you faith in the development staff at the club as well as seeing the swans using a very different game plan to what we have seen over in the past few years. It, we've kind of slowly seen it developing into this the past two years maybe, but this year it's like, okay, young list, we're probably not making finals, so let's try something new. And that new game style is more of a running, outside, play-on-at-all-cost game style, and it's high-risk, high-reward. And at the moment, it's much more risky because there's young players that are going to make mistakes and it's how it is. But once that starts to come off, it's so damaging. And that's what we saw happen in the game against West Coast about a month ago. We are able to get up by 42 points because more than a month ago, sorry, because the, the connection was there and the young players were working very well off the lead of the older players. And they were able to be very efficient once going inside 50 and scoring. Um, so we're probably going to see a lot more of that next year with a little bit more connection, another preseason in the young bodies who are um, probably underweight a little bit at the moment, not super strong. They won't be thrown around as much next year. So the fact that these young guys have had a whole season 
where it's relied on them. It hasn't relied on older players and then they have to just kind of play their role. They have to be significant in the way this team performs this year and they're going to be better for it next year. And then, sorry, I'm ranting, but one of my favourite players who I've been talking about for two years and no one will listen to me, he's come out and he's been one of the most improved players of the competition this year, Jordan Dawson. He's, he's a utility that allows Isaac Heaney to be used in different places. So last year we saw Isaac Heaney was kind of our stopgap player who wherever there was an issue, he would go. So if we can't get a goal, he goes forward, takes a big mark. If we're getting bombarded in defence, he goes into defence and plugs all the holes. Whereas now this year, Jordan Dawson has been able to do that, allowing Heaney to sit forward and in the midfield where we need him the most. So with all that in mind, first things that comes to my mind are two things. Um, in the States here, when you have a young team and inexperience, there's been a, uh, a new phenomenon that's going on. And this goes across sports, especially in baseball. They call it tanking, meaning oh. you're going to play the young guys and you're not worried about your wins and losses as much as you're worried about the opportunity to uh, draft and supply yes. <laughs> your, your, your pipeline with younger, more talented players going forward. Now, not saying that's exactly what's going on in Sydney, but is it something similar or is the draft different than no, what no, I so, here? No, no, we have had uh, tanking incidents in the past. The, a club that is very close to my heart, as you know, Melbourne, they uh, probably 10 years ago now, maybe not even, 2011 maybe, um, they were found not guilty of tanking but also copped punishments for it. So... I don't know. But um, with the Swans, it's definitely not that. You can you can see because Buddy Franklin has been injured a lot of the season. Um, Heath Grundy retired earlier in the season. Jared McVeigh just announced his retirement through injury. We've had a lot of senior players retire, but we also have had a much younger list profile than what we've had in the past. Um, so Nick Smith is another senior player who just hasn't got on the park this year. He's on the long-term injury list. But other than that, most of our senior players that are available are playing. So Josh Kennedy, one of our captains, right. Dane Rampey, Luke Parker, those guys are all out there, but the majority of the team is young just because those are the players we've got, um, which I think is really fun and exciting and gives you a different perspective on footy. Um, some people like to be really intense and over the top and demanding of these young guys, but I mean... Just watching little snippets. I get joy out of watching little snippets of things that they do that are really clever. Yeah, it could be a scenario where I always tell people is don't be too result-oriented all the time. Yeah. Wins and losses do matter in all sports. We know that because that's how you're judged. <laughs> However, like you just said, little snippets, opportunities to see growth in a player and growth in a team, uh, sometimes it's good. And that's what you need to do. Sometimes you have to go young to uh, get the experience. You can't get – experience unless you're on the field playing at the certain level and exactly that's, and that's what it takes sometimes yeah and if you can find joy in these little things you're going to enjoy footy a lot more as well like i was at a game earlier in the season um and we we're playing a team that was up consistently by about 20 points for the whole game but i was sitting there enjoying the fact that buddy had just broken a record with a goal that he kicked and that a young player had just done this and I was very much enjoying myself. And the fans behind me that were going for the team that were winning were just so unhappy the whole time because they felt like they were deserving of free kicks or this or that. It's just like, 
just to enjoy what your team is doing. Like, why yeah. do you come here if you hate it so much? Like, I, it just I, makes no sense. I, I totally agree with that. I, I run into that all the time and I says, why are you so grumpy? You're winning. You know, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, if you're going to be results oriented, enjoy the result, you know, uh, yeah. down 30 points or you're down whatever it might be in your game, then yeah, be grumpy, be upset. I understand that when you're results oriented all the time, you know, you brought up a player I wanted to talk about is Buddy Franklin. Uh, yep. I enjoyed watching him this season. I know he's been injured. I know he's been out and I guess there's a chance he may play again this year. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, I know there's only a few weeks left, so I doubt it. Um, I know he's, what, at 299 career games? Yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, that um, to be a big, uh, a big deal to get to 300, which I can understand, uh, considering you only play 22 games a season plus finals. Uh, that's, yeah. that's an established career. And quite honestly, when he played, I enjoyed watching it. It was one of the things that drew me to watch uh, Sydney this year. I, every time I had a chance to put him on, uh, even if it was a uh, quote unquote delay for me the next day, <laughs> it was you know, playing at five o'clock in the morning for me or three o'clock <laughs> in the morning for me. I'm like, nah, I think I'll miss that. But I, you know, I would flat out say, you know, he got to be one of the best players in the league period. I know he's, uh, you know, in his thirties that, but wow, what a, what a fun player to watch. Yeah. He's an eight time all Australian. Uh, he's, he's a very talented, Sorry, very talented player, but also I think the thing that he's shown in the past three or four years in particular is his leadership. And he's not in technically in the Swans leadership group or anything like that, but the young Swans forwards would not have developed as well or as quickly had he not been there to give them the confidence to try things, to help them, teach them, educate, all that sort of stuff. So I think that's something that gets missed a lot when people say, um, it, he Sydney uh, wasted money getting Buddy by if they don't win a premiership. It's it's a wasted concept. But I I'm strongly of the opinion that players like Tom Papley, uh, Tom McCartan, um, Will Hayward, those sorts of guys would not have developed as quickly as cleverly had they not had Buddy there to teach them and to give them confidence when they're on the field. Like having him there supporting you makes you walk a little bit taller, wouldn't you think? So um, I, I think that impact has been more significant than anything else. Um, he is on 299 games right now. I think Josh Kennedy said the other day that he's looking to get up for the final round of the season, um, which is also uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, going to be Jared McVay's last game. He's trying to get his body right to get one more game. Um so hopefully we get a couple of nice things happening in that game. It's also the Pride match, which um, is between Sydney and St Kilda every year, and it's Sydney's home Pride match this year. Uh, so hopefully the stars align and everything kind of comes together for that. Yeah, I, I hope it does for him because I, I don't know what his future holds, if he will continue to play or not after the, the last, you know, this past He's still year. contracted for another three years. Oh, so, he, so on that level... Yeah, uh, chances are good. Yes, but Jared McVeigh um, has announced his retirement, so that's right. his one last chance. So hopefully, we get everything come together in a nice end to the season. Oh, that's a one. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no question about it. All right, I got to talk about Collingwood here for a second. Okay, that's that's the team I kind of follow. Uh, I made well, a- you've got Mason Cox on the team. Exactly. That's uh, that's how I ended up following him. Uh, that's fair. Was, it was it was fair as like you said. It was just kind of situation where I started following footy again and 
And then I did some searches and all of a sudden I seen an American. What? And, uh, <laughs> and I found out who he was and his story is quite unique. And uh, I still say this when it comes to Twitter, uh, all players need to take a course because he is a master of it. Especially recently with the eye injury. He's been milking that. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I tell you what, he's had a tough year with injuries. He missed, what, about yeah, seven weeks earlier with uh, some soreness in that. And then uh, he came back the last two weeks and actually played pretty good in the last uh, match when he went down with the eye injury. And, uh, you know, obviously you got to take care of that and take care of your future. And Yeah, and there oh, were about uh, four eye injuries. There were about four eye injuries in the space of a fortnight as well, which was unheard of. Yeah crazy it's crazy it is speaking of uh collingwood i wanted to bring up the Jaden stevenson story because okay i can't okay first of all i understand what happened and, and why he's suspended which i totally understand and agree with what i can't understand as a sports fan and as someone who's covered sports is why is he not gone for the entire season why would he be able to play in the postseason makes no sense to me whatsoever if you're going to make a statement like they said spend 22 games with what 12 games you know um suspended yeah suspended and then he has the 10 10 weeks off what i mean hey i'm sure you'll help the pies you know going forward and that'll be a wonderful thing for them but on on a just an ethical level uh why is he playing again this season um, okay. Contextually, um, Collingwood are a very powerful club because of who their president is. Um, I'm not sure if you saw any of the Adam Goods documentaries that have recently come out. I have um, okay. There's two, there's one called the Australian dream. And there's another one called the final quarter. Um, their president features heavily in that because he was an ignorant racist throughout the whole thing. Oh, um, but he still has, can uh, he still has jobs at multiple media platforms, all that sort of stuff. So that uh, probably is the best example as to how much power this guy has. Uh, there was also a quote that came out afterwards saying that uh, that that Eddie Maguire, their president, said we started at 22 weeks and brought it down from there. So. I don't know how he had control over what the suspension of his own player was from the AFL integrity unit. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of us are asking that question. I think that Jane Stevenson is an idiot. Yes, I agree. Why you would do that, why it took so long to report. There's a lot of murkiness around this, and this is uh, this often happens with big Victorian clubs because they often have much more power than smaller mm -hmm. clubs do. Um, the Essendon stuff is an example of that. It took a really long time for any of that to come out. So uh, I think the short version of this is everything is corrupt, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I just, I do feel for the kid because when you're put into a situation where you're all of a sudden given a very high salary, you can't do a lot without people knowing who you are. You find an outlet. It was the wrong outlet. And he's been told multiple times that it's the wrong outlet. Um, he's an idiot, but you also feel sorry for him. You're right. I don't have a lot of respect for Eddie Maguire for multiple reasons. 
and I think it's rubbish that he has as much control over situations as he does. Fair enough. I, I will tell you this. Uh, over the years, uh, it's been discussed here in the States about players and their ethical standards and what they do. And another podcast that I listened to uh, called A to Z came yep. up with what they call the shithead theorem. Now, the shithead theorem is it's very simple. Once a shithead, always a shithead. And if you give that shithead money, is all he is is shithead with money. Yeah. And, yeah you know, and you can put that in almost any sport and you know <laughs> what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah. You know, it's just, it just makes no sense. I mean, I, I've maybe gotten older and more ethical. I don't know. <laughs> I just – it makes no sense to me. I mean, all right, if you're going to suspend them for the rest of the regular season, why not the postseason too? And then I'll give you a perfect example. Here in the United States, in baseball, they had for a long time a, a PED uh, scandal where it was performance-enhancing drugs uh, would come yeah. in, and they've strengthened their policies over the years. And one of the policies, when they first came out, a player could get suspended for the year, but it was available for the postseason. Uh, for the playoffs in the World Series. They since changed that. Now if you get caught with a PED, you're suspended for 80 games. That's half the season. Wow. And you're not avail- you're not a- able to participate in the postseason. So if your team does qualify for the postseason, like the finals in, in footy, you're not allowed to do it. And under the circumstances of what I see and what I've read, I understand it was like $45 maybe totally spent. Uh, if you believe that, I'm not sure that it was over. Th- it was over three bets, though. That's the thing. That's like, what I was going to say. It's a it's, one-off it's error. Conduct. Yeah, it's it's the conduct. Yeah, you know. Um, but I think the other great. thing. Yeah, and we have a lot of gray areas in footy. Um, I know a lot of other sports are very hard and fast. This is the rule. This is how it goes. You break that rule. This is your suspension. Whereas in footy, we have so much gray area their integrity unit or whoever it is, they make the decisions case by case basis. Mm-hmm. So there that opens the door for people with power to come in and influence those decisions being made. Just out of curiosity, and this might be an unfair question, who is the integrity council and how do they put together or does it change year to year or, or who are these? Uh, it's old men at the AFL who make decisions based on who their mates are. That's the cynical view. Uh, I believe Andrew Dillon is the head of it. Um, But realistically, uh, it's just the AFL. It's a department of the AFL, and they make a decision based on what they think publicly is the best look for them. Okay. Is there a president of the AFL or a commissioner or something like that? Is the the bigger head? Gillen McLaughlin is the president. Okay. The CEO. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so he's the one who actually is the uh, the public uh, voice of uh, whatever may happen. Uh, he's out front for everything. Then and, you know he's he's the one everyone hates because he's the one who has to do it. I'm not saying he may not deserve some of the criticism that comes his way. I'm just saying he's the public face of the AFL. Then he's the one that yeah, yeah I have a problem I, with. It, you're going to point to him. I think um, it, it's interesting. And again, I come at this with uh, Aussie rules context and right. my 28 years of footy watching, not necessarily 
much other big sport influence. Right. Um, but I think the issue a lot of footy fans have with Gillam McLaughlin is that he's he can be perceived as weak at times. So he won't come out and say something. He'll just kind of push it under the rug, hope it goes away. Um, and I referenced the Adam Goods documentaries. That was a big thing where if he'd come out earlier in that whole thing and made a comment and stated where the AFL was at with it, I think that would have made a very big difference. But instead, they just stayed quiet, let it keep happening, and then it became this really, really big thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's our issue. I prefer if he came out and said things and everyone hated him for it than him pretend things aren't there and hope they go away. Yeah. Yeah, he just tries to sweep it under the rug and like it never happened. Not yeah. Anything. All right, let's talk about footy. Enough of the politics BS. Uh, <laughs> the top eight coming into yes. uh, right now, I guess actually still today. But you have Geelong, Brisbane, uh, West Coast, and Collingwood in the top four. And yep. then uh, you have Richmond, uh, the Giants, Edison, or excuse me, Essendon, and Port uh, Adelaide in the, yep. in the bottom uh, of the eight. Then you have the Adelaide and Western Bulldogs on the outside looking in. Do they have a chance or the outside looking in, are they still, I mean, I look at, you know, like Hawthorne is nine and 11. They're probably out. I don't can't imagine they they're going to make it. Mathematically it's possible for them to make it. Um, So because of the way the fixture works, we have a 23, 22-week season. It's 23 weeks because of the bye. Um, And we have 18 teams, which means there are five games where you play someone twice. So because of that imbalance, it makes the end of the year very interesting. Uh, Last night's game between Essendon and Western Bulldogs showed just how, uh, how much things can change. Essendon are sitting in the top eight they lost 7% last night from their, from their percentage because they were belted, absolutely belted by the Western Bulldogs. So there's a really, really strong likelihood that Essendon drop out of the eight there um, and that Adelaide or the Western Bulldogs or Hawthorne jump into that spot. Um, I think probably the top six are pretty safe. Um, Essendon and Port Adelaide, Port Adelaide are the teams that could drop out. Um, I think... Essendon, a far more likely team to drop out. Port Adelaide showed yesterday. They, they had their first consecutive wins since round six and, or five and six, six and seven last yesterday. Um, so they've been so inconsistent this year that you just don't know what's going to happen. But they, the way they were able to structure their team, move the ball yesterday in both wet and dry conditions, um, that's encouraging. But you want to see that again next week. Because you, they've they've put on really great performances and then come out and be dismal the week after. So that's where we're un, uh, uncomfortable locking Port into that spot. Adelaide haven't been convincing either. Western Bulldogs second half of the year has been very very strong, um, as to Hawthorns. So it's going to be interesting that I think the eighth spot is going to be the tough one to pick. Yeah, I, I was just curious if they. Uh if that top eight was kind of to a point now where it would be tough to crack it. But like you said, it looks like Edison or excuse me, Edison. I'm not saying that right. Essendon. 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 Yeah. <laughs> uh, needless to say. 
Uh, Just say the bombers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The bombers. <laughs> the opportunity. Uh, it looked like they were pretty strong there for a while, but the last two, three weeks have uh, kind of faltered. But what I was going to ask you was, more than anything, going into the finals, let's just move ahead. And I know, yep. again, it might be an unfair question to ask because you may not know it or you may know it all. When was the last team who was in the bottom four of the top eight? that To win a premiership? Went, yeah, to win the premiership. So the first and only time that's happened oh, wow. was, in yeah, was in 2016. It was the Western Bulldogs who finished seventh. And they beat my team in the grand final. Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Didn't mean um, to bring up bad memories. <laughs> but uh, what also happened that year that was different and the reason it was able to happen, um, they introduced the buy round before finals. So you finish round 23, all the teams get a week off, and then they start finals. So it's a chance to get your players fit again, mm. all that sort of stuff. And that allowed the Western Bulldogs to get a few players back in time for finals. And then they got a month of really good foot, footy together to win the grand final. We haven't seen it happen since because the top teams have been so strong. 2017, Richmond had no injuries to be seen, so they didn't have that issue. Last year, West Coast were just able to get it done on the day. Uh, but there's no reason why it couldn't happen again this year. But I do think that the strongest and uh, scariest teams in that top eight right now are Brisbane, West Coast, and Richmond. Yeah, Richmond is always uh, – I mean, last year I know Richmond had a phenomenal real regular season and then got into the – And Mason Cox – Exactly, them. I was going to say, they get to the <laughs> – uh, What is it, familiar? That was good to watch. And, and it was uh, – The prelim, yeah. yeah prelim. And, yeah. Uh, it was phenomenal. I loved watching that, by the way. It was, uh, I had a lot of fun watching that uh, game and watching him. So did I, and I don't go for either team. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. It yeah. was, yeah. I mean, I think there are times this year, and, and maybe it's just me in the games that I've watched, but there seems to be a, a, a like this, this week here or this round, a lot of blowouts, a lot of, a lot of non-competitive games in the second half of, of the game where a team gets up like 30, yeah. 40 points, and they're just able to, you know, play defense, keep them off, keep them out of the, uh, the goal, and, and, and really win by that 30, 40 points. It seems like it's happened quite often this season. Maybe I'm wrong, but it just seems to be uh, there have been a lot of those type of uh, matches. No, I think you're right. I've maintained all season, uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek, but also kind of seriously, that there are no good teams, there are no bad teams because a team might have a game like Essendon did this week and then come out next week and be amazing. So it's been the most difficult to predict season that I've ever seen. Um, I think that the lack of runners has had something to do with that. So I'm not sure if you know, but um, there's been a rule change into this season. Um, runners are guys that run onto the field and give the coaches notes to the players because the field is so big there's no other way for the coach to get his message out there. Um, but this year they changed the rule so that runners could only get on the field after a goal has been kicked and then they're timed. So, um, and they have 30 seconds to deliver the message, get back off. So that for young teams or for inexperienced teams has been really detrimental because they need to rely on themselves for a lot of the game. And I think that's where a team will just 
kind of possess the ball while they're up because they know that their coach can't get the message out there. It's they just need to control the game. Um, And I think that may have something to do with it. Um, I also think that the skills have been really inconsistent this year. So we're seeing a lot of, as long as you can possess the ball, you're going to be okay. Um, I hope that it changes next year. I hope that we see improvement on that because it is a little bit frustrating. Um, I see it from a Sydney perspective as youth, but there are other teams that don't have that excuse. Um, There are teams like Collingwood, while they're in their bad patch, they were just playing bad football. It's as simple as that. Same as GWS, they didn't prepare well enough for Friday night's game to be able to beat Hawthorne, and they were just picked apart. So I think it's kind of a perfect storm of things coming together to have caused a few of those things. But that being said, last week we saw a whole bunch of very close finishes. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it just seems like... Like I said, I've seen a lot more bigger scores, you know, differentials than I've seen in the past, you know. And well, last night particularly. Yeah, exactly. But and maybe that's I what think, I'm thinking that way. Yeah, I think it's more a reflection of the teams that did poorly than it is a reflection of the teams that did well, if that makes sense. So I think that Essendon and North Melbourne were very apathetic in the way they played. They weren't attacking. They weren't. Uh, making good decisions. It's almost like they were lazy. And when you're lazy, your skills don't come off. And also you make bad choices and you're just handing the ball back to your opponent. And yes, you can talk about injuries. Essendon did have injuries last night. But realistically, they didn't have any more injuries than what Collingwood have dealt with, what Sydney have dealt with, what the Gold Coast Suns have dealt with. So you can't really use that excuse for that bigger blowout. Because they kicked the first, the first goal in 25 seconds of the game and they didn't kick their second goal until there were four and a half minutes left of the game. And I've never seen that happen before. Yeah, that's a, that's a big span. Let's change subject real quick here. Um, the, the, we've seen three coaching changes during the season. How often yeah. does that happen? And I don't remember a coaching change last year. I could be wrong. Uh, no, I don't think that, that was. happened during the season often, or is that more of a an anomaly here this year that it happened? Um, usually, we probably see one. Um, it's been a lot that it's three. Um, the media bays for blood and then act like they feel bad for the guy when he's <laughs> lost his job. Um, North Melbourne's that should have happened two, three years ago. Um, I don't think Brad Scott is a a development coach. I don't think he's a coach that likes to try new things. Um, And that that shows with North Melbourne. They thought that if they kept doing the same thing, eventually it was going to work and it wasn't going to work. The Carlton Blues, sorry. I was saying Brisbane, but they have not changed it. Carlton, I I feel bad for Brendan Bolton. Um, I think... I do. I think that he, from my perspective, right. he was very much hamstrung by the higher-ups at the club. He, I, I felt like he was controlled in what he was able to do with players. And a lot of the players after he got sacked came out and when they won the next week, they all said it felt hollow without him. I hope that he gets another job um, as an assistant somewhere. Um, I personally hope that he goes to Brisbane and is up there with Chris Fagan because they work together at Hawthorne. Um, 
that David Teague is doing a fantastic job, but I think that in part is he's been given free reign to let things loose. I was going to ask because they've had such an improvement since they, they made the change. Yeah, it feels like he he has got a couple of players back, so we've got to talk about that. But um, I think he's not been reined in like Brendan Bolton felt. It felt like he was being tightened. Um, so he's just been able to let them play loose, let them do their thing. He's also seen improvement in a lot of players who early in the season were struggling with injury or they weren't in form. So he's had a lot go right, and David Teague has been fantastic, don't get me wrong, but um, I do feel bad for Brendan Bolton because it felt like he was a scapegoat for board issues. Um, and who's the third one? Alan Richardson. Yeah. I feel a bit bad for him as well. He He's consistently had a serious injury list while he's been at St Kilda. Um, there are there are comments that he didn't have the best relationship with his players, and if that's the case, then you deserve to be moved on. But he's a pretty amiable guy. He's um, I wanted the best for him, and it's just not worked for him. But um, good for St Kilda that they've been able to find a little bit of form. But it's no different to the form that they had with um, Alan Richardson there. So I think St Kilda are a big difference to the other two clubs. The other two had an immediate kind of improvement, whereas St Kilda have kind of been doing the same thing. They've had the successes that they've had have been very similar to the successes they had earlier in the year. Um, it's kind of the same, really. Yeah, there's no. I, I was going to say there's little change in that one. I guess the biggest change was Carlton uh, watching. You know, the change there because I'm biased here on this level. When, before I bought the AFL watch where I can see all the games, mm-hmm. uh, I used to get it online through uh, Fox uh, Sports app here in Ohio or in America, and it was Carlton every week, and they sucked every week. <laughs> and it was just every time I, I, wait, I, I stay up until, you know, 1 a.m. to watch this game, and they would be blown out by the second quarter. And I'm like, this team sucks. And every time we go on, I just like I go, I go, I kept saying, you know, in America, you, if you suck this bad this long, you usually don't keep your job. And when he got let go, I heard all those people say, "Oh, it's so sad, so sad." And I'm like, the man never won, and now <laughs> you know they changed coaches and they're winning some games. And I'm like, maybe there's there's a correlation here. <laughs> um, I think. Okay, so I went up to Sydney. I obviously live in Melbourne. I went up to Sydney for the Sydney Carlton game a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I was doing an interview with uh, one of the Swans development coaches for Australian Jams, which you can all go and listen to, uh, Lloyd Paris episode. Um, and so I went to the game and I, um, on purpose, sat as close to the front as I could because I wanted to see the stoppage work and I wanted to see how Carlton went about that. and. The Swans have been notoriously bad with contested ball clearance work this year mm-hmm. um, just because of the changing game style and all those things I discussed earlier. And it's fine. Um, but Carlton, I was watching them, and this would have been two or three weeks after the coaching change. Their work at the stoppages was the best I've seen in a very long time. Patrick Cripps is one person of that. But Zach Fisher, Will Setterfield and uh, Sam Walsh, those guys around the stoppages were connecting like 
I've not seen before. And those are players that the four of them together, we haven't seen a lot of because a couple of them have had niggling injuries throughout. So getting those four together and working made such a difference to the, their whole game style. And that in itself changed a lot for Carlton. And honestly, watching their stoppage work in that game, it was uh, if it wasn't against my team, I would have been loving it. But add to that players like Levi Casbolt, who is notoriously inconsistent coming out and having an incredible game and when he's a bit off, sending him into defence so that he's just got to follow someone instead of be the leader. Little thing, little changes like that have been really good for them. And I think having the ability to use a lot more of those players has been diff- what's been different for David Teague as compared to Brendan Bolton. That makes sense. I mean, it's just you know, get more players back healthy and, and just maybe a change of... Uh leadership in a sense change you know same voice sometimes make a big difference a hundred percent hundred percent and and i've seen that happen so many times in all sports and i just like i said i I can see such a difference in that team since the change and my question now is was it teague is that the guy the man david teague yeah is has there been talk about him retaining that position going forward, or is he just purely a, an interim coach who will uh, be moving on at the end of the season? So um, a lot of people want him. A lot of the players have said they want him. Um, Carlton, I, I mentioned their board earlier. Carlton's board are a boys' club and um, like to do things the way they want to do things, and they don't want to hear from anyone else. Uh, a member of their board has come out and said there's no way he's having the job. But with the way they're performing, the way the players feel about him, they would be stupid not to give him the job. They, they, well, it would be idiotic. I think so too, but I've seen that attitude in other sports. And, yeah, when you when someone is predetermined what they're going to do in the future, they usually do it no matter what the consequences are. Yes, and that, that's what I meant by Brenda Bolton being a scapegoat. Yeah. The board the board refused to change anything, and then he became the result of their inability to adapt. And the concern is that they're going to try and go out and get someone that doesn't necessarily gel as well with the players when they have someone right there that could do the job. And Carlton have a history of doing this. They sacked Brendan, uh, Brett Bratton, who had got Carlton into finals, to get Mick Malthouse on board. That went incredibly poorly. Uh, John Barker took over as the caretaker coach when Mick Malthouse was sacked, and he desperately wanted the job. The players wanted him. They didn't go with him. They chose Brendan Bolton instead, and now it's looking like they'll probably do the same thing with David Teague. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's some organizations just have a tendency to do the same thing over and over again, no matter how. Uh, lack of results they get, you know, and uh, that's the definition of of insanity. Yes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) You know, it's my way or the highway. So, uh, and the other, you know, cliche is all coaches are hired to be fired. So, uh, unfortunately uh, they are the scapegoat for every team. I'm just, I'm very grateful that I go for such a consistent team and a club that is so consistent. They consistently develop players. Well, 
We have coaches stick around for a long time because they want to be there and they also get the results. There are succession plans in place when it, from any from the board to the coaching to the captaincy, they have succession. It's just very, it's a well-oiled machine. So I'm very grateful that that's the club that I follow because it's, it takes a lot of the pressure off. Oh, absolutely it does. There's no question. When you have an organization that, like you mentioned, that, that has a flow chart that works and they have people that they develop in all areas, like you say, and uh, so if someone chooses to leave or if there is a opening, uh, they have people who are ready to step in and others who are ready to be promoted within to take those spots and, and, and continue, like you said, a well-oiled machine. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are your best organizations in all, all of sports in any sport uh, across the world. You'll, you'll see that because without that, it is chaos and chaos never wins. And uh, it may yeah, win for I'm a half a year or a year just because of change. And sometimes change is th- exactly what you need at that moment. But long term usually doesn't work. And I mean, when your players have to be distracted by all this other stuff going on instead of just what's on the field, that's not going to get you the results either, either, is it? No, you got to have players that are, you know, you got to be professional in sports, which is difficult, let alone where where you are, meaning you have a job to do, you want to do it the best you can. But we are not thrilled about the scenario you're in. It's difficult to reach that your highest level of, competition and and your 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 abilities and i don't care what sport it is that's just the truth i've seen it so many times i've seen some great players play on really lousy teams and they're giving their best effort but in the same vein they're they can't wait for the game to end because they just want to move on and it's just the reality of life i mean i think that's just the way people are i mean you're in a bad situation you work hard you hope for good things to change but they usually they don't yeah and uh, development in footy is such a big thing that's how teams can consistently stay closer to the top of the ladder than the bottom because if you're developing young guys to come in and be those depth players that's such an important thing and that's something Carlton really lacked was a lot of their players that they were getting top end talent because they were getting those high draft picks were coming in and after a year or two they were plateauing I think their development staff have have to be looked at um, just like with Melbourne I think Melbourne's conditioning and fitness staff need to be looked at. And David Mission is moving on, so it's probably for the best because Melbourne's injury issues have destroyed them this year. Like, absolutely destroyed them. A team that should be contesting for the top four have been destroyed by injury. And that goes back to August last year that this issue has been going on. So... It always falls on the coach, but there's so many other facets of uh, a club that influence the on-field performance that we're always talking about sacking the coach, but there's a lot of teams where the conditioning staff need to be looked at or the development staff need to be looked at, and that's where the issues are beginning. No, there's no question about it. Looking at uh, the next two weeks of the regular season before finals and you get a week off, uh, your your one team to watch in the final or right now in the top eight that you think has the best opportunity uh, to take down the premiership. Uh, I'm being optimistic with this one. Okay, I want to see Brisbane win it. I 
it would it, Brisbane, I worry, are going to be the Melbourne of this year where they get a brilliant run and they hit a prelim and they hit a wall. Um, I hope that doesn't happen because they've been so fun to watch. And as I've said all day, I love young teams. I love Chris Fagan. I would love to see Brisbane. I think they're in with a real shot. But I think that Richmond are going to do some damage in finals this year, as much as I hate to say it because I don't like Richmond. But I think they're going to do some damage. All right. There's there's the pick. I don't have one. I'm going to just go with Collingwood because, you know, <laughs> looks like you they're going to be there. Team. My team, right? I mean, it'd be kind of <laughs> spot to. Uh, I could be like a, a professional guy and say, oh, "This is the team to watch out." Though I'm going to call it that. No, screw that. Uh, it's the first time in ten years I haven't had my team in, so I have to be more impartial. <laughs> exactly. Hey, okay. I want to switch gears real quick here and talk a little AFLW with you. Uh, yes. Coming up, uh, the new season, obviously. Th- uh, the Swans are actually have a team this year, correct? No, we next year? don't have a team. No, probably not until 2022 oh, okay. or 2024. So um, the reason the Swans don't have a team, they've not bid, on a, bid for a team yet because they're trying to develop the talent in New South Wales. So uh, I'm it's not sure how it would work in the US, but in yeah. when it comes to... Australian rules footy. Um, Victoria is kind of the hub with South Australia and Western Australia, very big footy states. So the talent, the pathways, all that, the interest is very strong in those, those three states. New South Wales and Queensland are more rugby states. Mm-hmm. So the, the talent pathways haven't really been there, which is why the Swans, uh, they were the first interstate AFL team. Uh, because they were moved from Melbourne up to Sydney and they had to be successful and professional because otherwise people weren't interested up there. So now that we have two teams in New South Wales, two teams in Queensland, it's about consistently finding the talent and growing it from the grassroots and that goes for women's footy as well. So Brisbane and the Greater Western Sydney Giants have been in the AFLW since the beginning. So it's been hard to introduce a second team in those two states because in the men's, there's very little. So in the women's, there's even less right now. Right. But Queensland, we've seen the biggest growth in women's footy since the beginning of the AFLW across any state in Australia, state or territory in Australia. Queensland has had the biggest growth, which is why Gold Coast Suns have a team now. What the Swans have done, and uh, it causes a lot of controversy here in Australia, the Swans have an academy where they get kids when they're young, eight, nine years old, and teach them footy skills and in a very structured environment. It's run by the club from a young age, and as you get older and older, it gets less and less. The most talented kids get through. Isaac Heaney is an example of an, an academy kid. Callum Mills, um, James Bell, who debuted yesterday, they're all academy kids. So those guys with really good skill and footy smarts, it's because they're trying to grow the game in New South Wales. So the short version, uh, the Swans have developed a girls' academy to develop uh, girls' and women's footy up there before trying to get a team. So they're not spreading the talent too thin in that state because we've seen GWS, they have a few talented players, but it's not near what there is in Victoria, South Australia, or WA. So the Swans are developing new uh, facilities for the women to use as well so that they have 
fair opportunity to use the facilities, have their own space to trade. So that's why the Swans are waiting. They're trying to do it right from the outset. And I can't complain with that at all, personally. Uh, but I go from Melbourne anyway, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. Though more than anything, though, that's actually how you build an organization, how you build a team uh, from the yep. ground up. And, and that makes total sense. I mean, you can yep. jump into them, you know, dive into the pool, but uh, if you're not ready to swim, it's going to be difficult. So you might as exactly. well, you know, develop the interest in the players and have them you know, when you do make that move in a few years, that they have a, a talent pool to choose from and, and something to go on. Now, there are, like you said, uh, a couple expansion teams again this season, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's four new teams this season. So oh, we have cool. West Coast. Yeah, West Coast are joining Fremantle over in WA. Um, and they've stolen a lot of my favorite Fremantle players across, and I'm very sad about that. Um, we have uh, Gold Coast. So the other team up in Queensland, mm -hmm. they have had an academy as well for a while and they've got a few really good players that have gone across. We have Richmond, who very controversially have signed two of the biggest names, or three of the biggest names in the competition. So that's upset a few people. Um, and we have St Kilda, who have just quietly got a few really talented players and they've also got a very, very good coach in Peter Searle who has been involved in footy and involved in the St Kilda Footy Club for a very long time. She was the first female coach appointed at any AFL club in history, um, and now she's going to be the head coach of their women's team. So that is really exciting. And yeah. She's coaching their VFLW side right now, so the Victorian Footy League um, so in, instead of the AFL. Um, she's coaching their team right now, and they are competing for top of the ladder of the VFLW. So she's a very, very smart coach, and she's got a really good relationship with her players. Now, talk, just talk about the competition in general. They're still going with the conference system again next year, correct? It's not been 100% confirmed, but it seems that way, unfortunately. Okay. Yes. Now, here's my question. I, I should have asked this last year when we talked, and I, I forgot, and I wanted to ask, how much is the AFL – using the women's competition as an experiment for this uh, conference system. Uh, is there a possibility that we're seeing this work out the bugs that when you see an expansion possibly in the men's competition that they would try this? They'll never do conferences for the men's season. Okay. Um, the, the only reason they're doing conferences in the women's is because they don't want to make the season longer. Um, and that was – it's, it's pretty simple. Yeah, that's that's what our issue was this year in particular in the 2019 season. Um, if they'd added two weeks to the season, you would have seen every team play every other team right. once and you wouldn't have needed them. But it was them preparing us for next year and the years after that when we have more teams and they don't want to make the season longer. But it's it's been suggested that there's going to be an eight-week home and away season and a three-week final series, uh, which means... Every uh, there's five teams that you miss out on playing or something like that. I haven't looked at it exactly, okay. but it's frustrating. Um, they have done one positive thing, though, which is they've scrapped AFLX, which yes, has is. taken a lot of budget and attention away from the AFLW in the past two years. So that's gone now. So hopefully that money gets funneled into the AFLW and a few more resources are given to them. But seriously, all we want as fans, all we want to see is a season where every team plays every other team once. And then we're happy if there's only a two-week final series. We want to see the home and away season fair, which you can't do if you're not playing every team. Correct. No, I 
<laughs> There's no doubt about it. I was, you know, as I was thinking about this whole thing, it seems like a lot of they they could use, uh, you know, the AFLX thing that you were talking about was an experiment, you know, to try to, to strengthen the brand abroad and stuff like that. I was very curious if they were doing the same thing with the women's uh, competition necessarily to like, well, if we do this, we can work out everything before we introduce it, and we can just say we're modernizing the game and stuff like that. Yeah. And I was kind of uh, like, well, this, you know, it's, it's an easy it, – in baseball here in America, they, we have a minor league system where it's just a developmental. As you go up yeah. the system, you make it up to the majors. They're the best players, and the ones that don't, unfortunately, never make it that far. Um, and baseball has – use the minor leagues as experiments at times to introduce things to the major league level at certain in the future. Like for example, in baseball, a lot of people complain there's a lot of time downtime uh, between each pitch. Uh, in the minor leagues, they introduce what's called a 20 second clock where the pitch has to be made within every 20 seconds after the pitch was, you know, so they've been doing that the last few years. So the players have come, the new players who have reached the majors are used to this faster pace. And now yeah. they're talking about finally implementing that at the major league level because they've yeah. had like five years of players now moving into the major leagues used to that pace. And I was thinking that, that made me think about the AFLW. Just I thought, you know, this might be the same type of theory thinking. Let's use them as our experiments. Let's work out all our bugs here. And then if we want to introduce something to the men's competition, we can because we'll have it all worked out by then. A lot of us were worried about that, um, but <laughs> notoriously, the AFL doesn't do a lot of testing things. They don't spend five years gathering data on what works and what doesn't. <laughs> they implement things without testing very much. Um, if they do test things, they do test it in the VFL, so the men's state competition instead of in the women's competition. There are some modified rules in the women's competition, right. um, but we haven't yet seen the influence of that into men's or like as a testing ground. Um, thank goodness. But the, yeah, but the other side of that is that the AFL doesn't really test things. Um, and then they assume something is going to work one way and then it doesn't. And they're when they make a decision, it it's just like, of course we knew what we were doing. Well, oh, it's we frustrating. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, but... AFLX just in general, I just want to clarify, like, I, I understand why they needed to experiment with that. Yeah. I understand that they wanted to try something. That's fine. Like, you've got to try new things. The issue a lot of AFLW fans had with it was that the AFLW season was purposely put in the summer in unbearable conditions yes. over a very short period of time because they wanted clean air for the for their season and that was that was a phrase that was always being used they want clean air for the aflw so it doesn't have to compete with the men's all that sort of stuff and then after a year of that they went and slammed this thing right in the middle of it that took more marketing for one night than the aflw season had for the whole season the players were getting paid more for one night than the AFLW players were being paid for their whole season. And they got a Friday night game, which meant the AFLW Friday night game. And it just took everything away from what they'd been saying. So it felt very hypocritical. I understand fully that you want to experiment with ways to grow the game. You have to do that to have a sustainable or a growing platform. 
but there were other ways and other times to do it. Or you let the AFLW season run longer, let it compete with the men's season and put your AFLX wherever you want. It was that issue that people had. There, there will be people that hate women's footy that hate it because it was a terrible game because it didn't work. But most people that didn't like it didn't like it because of the hypocritical nature of the way they went about it. Mm-hmm. Question about the uh, the women's competition. As you mentioned, it's in summertime, which I've seen the temperatures over there. It's ridiculous. Um, yep. Would it be more feasible or is it not feasible at all to have it in spring after the men's competition ends? Where it would be you – know, I mean, I don't know the climates. I don't know what, what what's going on. I was just thinking it would be actually – and more, and then you would have a longer season available to you because you have no competition at that time against the men's competition, like you would have, which runs up, you know, in the spring, or I should say, in the fall for you. Uh, spring for us is September, October, right? November. So that would be when the men's finals would. I think that um, let's say it started like in October versus, uh, you know, was February, January, February, yeah. Um, I think by then people have footy fatigue. So they've just had the long men's season. There's not the excitement going into it like there is if it's beforehand. I Personally, I think the best setup we could have would be start it two or three weeks before the men's season starts. Let it run through to the point where the men's bye week is. At the moment, the men's bye is split across three weeks where mm-hmm. six teams have the bye each week. So it means you have six games each week instead of nine. What if instead of that, you had the men's bye week all in one week, all the men, there are no men's games, and that's when the AFLW grand final is. So that's when you track it. So you start it maybe two or three weeks before the men's season starts. I think that would be a better setup than having it, trying to cram it all in before when it's really hot and you're competing with the Australian Open here in Melbourne, all those sorts of things. Um, I think that would be a better setup. And then it fixes the problem of the men's bye weeks being over three weeks, which everyone hates anyway. Right. That to me would be ideal. You could play women's games as curtain raises for men's games. I know that that's not the best situation, but putting clubs together like that. So your club is, it's an all club experience. Melbourne have the women play, then the men play. It's a, it's a good kind of family day out for supporters of the club. Things like that I think would be far better than any other solution they might come up with. Um, and also the other big thing I have is that in the men's season, if you are out of form or you're coming back from an injury, you can go back to your state league to get back into form and show that you need to get back into the team or right. come back from injury, play limited minutes, and then get back into the team next week. With the women's being at that time of the year, there's no other competition for them to go back to to prove their form to get back into the team. They just have to train well. And that's a really big thing when it comes to footy because training is completely different to an actual game. So having it run over the first half of the men's season, I think would be the best situation. Um, you can still have the excitement coming into the first week because it will be before the men's. You've got footy's back vibes, but then by week grand final done. And then the men can have the second half of the season. Like this, it just, it makes no sense that that's not how they're doing it. But I think broadcast rights may have a lot to do with it. Yeah, I'm sure 
TV rules everything when it comes to sports. I don't care where you're at. Yes. So. And that hell never changed. Hell never changed. Yeah. Trust me there. He even rules the high school sports here in Ohio on the radio. So uh, it's, <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, I can get into whole stories about that. Uh, however, uh, when you, I was looking at the, the, the women's comp, I was just had these thoughts processes in the last year. And I'm like, I got to find out. <laughs> uh, you know, if this is even possible. I says it might be climate and just not enough, or like you said, it might be just too much at one time. That's kind of reason I brought that up is like here in the States, we have the NBA, which is a very long season. It starts in October and runs all the way to June to the finals. Yeah. The, the women's competition actually begins in June and runs until runs after right. Yeah. It begins at the really almost the exact same time. The, the finals in the NBA men's competition begin. Then the, the women's begin, and, it, and it's a shorter season, obviously. I think it's only like 20, 22 weeks long, and then, uh, or 20, 22 games long. And it's only maybe a 12, 14 week season. And then yeah. you're in the playoffs, and, and it's over. It's over pretty quick. It's probably less than 20 weeks long the entire year. I was just curious if it could be done after the men's competition, or if it's just too much of a climate problem, or if it's, like you said, just fatigue. But to run it simultaneously, like you said, at least half the season to begin, you know, why you have the, uh, the ladies all by themselves makes more sense than uh, the way it's done now, where there they're, seems like they're almost afraid of the competition, which makes no sense to me. Yeah, well, when they announced there'd be no more AFL-X next year, um, the, they specifically said it was to be able to focus on AFLW. So we're optimistic. Uh, but not getting our hopes up too much because they've said things like that before and we've been let down. So we're going to be optimistic. We we have been told that we will find out more details about the structure of the fixture next year by the end of August this year, whereas last year it was November before we found out anything, which was way too late, especially for the players who in two months' time didn't know what they'd be doing. Um, so end of August we'll have a better idea of what's happening. And then I guess we can go from there. And uh, again, as AFLW fans, we understand that it's in a growth phase. It's in a development phase. Um, we need to be realistic about what resources can be put there, what semi-professional athletes can be doing. But the reality is until you put those resources into it and give it a chance, you're never going to understand the full potential of the thing. No, there's no question about that. You have to. You have to give it a chance and an opportunity to grow. There's no question about that. And it was fun to watch. I mean, I caught it the la about the last half of the season once I uh, re-upped my app and, uh, <laughs> and I got tired of watching. I definitely but, hey, I, I get the whole thing now. I get both, so I'm happy. Uh, yeah, perfect. Yeah, it works. Uh, quick one more question on just the AFL in general. Uh, has oh. there ever been an all-star game or would they ever be interested in like a, like an all-star game where you would have the, the, the all Australian team and uh, maybe uh, a second team and you split it up, maybe East, West, North, South, whatever the case may be. And, and have a, uh, I don't know, a charity game or a, uh, just to promote the game in general. So there have been a few versions of this in AFL. Um, AFL X is probably the most recent version right. because that was just players. Um, 
we have every year the EJ Witten Legends game. So it's a game that raises money for testicular cancer charities, I think, um, or prostate cancer charities. Um, that is retired players coming back and playing a game. And that one's usually uh, Victoria versus the Allies. So Allies is everywhere else in Australia versus Victoria. Um, that happens now in the bye week between the end of the season and the finals. Um, we also have had State of Origin in the past, and this is something that a lot of people want back. Um, but the reality of AFL footy and the injuries potential in playing a full-out game like that means the clubs don't really want a State of Origin back. So State of Origin is just state v. state. Um, and throughout the 80s and 90s in particular, there were some really brutal games. Mm. Um, but the issue, again, is you want to preserve your players. You're paying them a lot of money. Exactly. They're really important. Um, so that's why I think the AFLX, which was very, very non-contact in compared to AFL, um, that was kind of okay for clubs. EJ Witten Legends game, they're past players, so it's not going to impact your season. Um, I think that's the biggest sticking point with... Uh, any sort of all-star state of origin game coming back is people don't want... Because if your star player gets injured in a game that means nothing to your club, it might mean something to you separately. But to your club, that is unforgivable. Yeah. So no, that's where the issue comes in. a game that doesn't matter are Correct. heartbreaking and, like you said, uh, can uh, really change the trajectory of a team that season. There's no question about that. Yeah, if the Swans had a team, or if if the Swans lost Luke Parker for a season because of an injury he got in a non-Swans uh, game, I'd be furious that he was allowed to play in that because he's a captain of our club. That should be number one priority. And I understand people want State of Origin because they're nostalgic for it, all that sort of stuff. But I think we have like we have a lot. I think having AFLW is better than having those one-off games oh, personally absolutely. yeah no question no question about that because you're getting a a competition type scenario i was just thinking in general just promoting the game and uh, we have that here in in the united states with you know the nba all-star game major league baseball all-star game uh, they do have the all pro uh football game but that's kind of a joke uh speaking of uh you know players uh, step aside and let players get out of bounds or catch it, you know, without a competition, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. Prevent injuries, you know, like you're talking. That sounds like the Legends game. Yeah. They do all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, and exactly. It's more of a, you know, it's just great to see them back on the field type thing versus, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, they have that. They used to have that in baseball here. They used to call it all timer games. Uh, there were okay. players that would come out and play. And uh, if you ever get a chance, uh, just out of curious, uh, want to see some. They did one many years ago, back in the 80s, uh, in baseball. It was played in Washington, D.C. before Washington, D.C. had baseball return to it uh, okay. on the major league level. And uh, they had a 75 year old man, I can't remember his name, who was a Hall of Famer, one of the best players ever, uh, lead off the game. And uh, he actually hit a home run. Like three hundred oh, something. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely insane. They don't play those games anymore too much, but it was uh, it was a big deal. You know, they had this. Uh, 
Oh God, I don't think it was Eddie Stannis. I can't remember his name top of my head. I, I have seen it many times. It just blows your mind away because you see him literally take about, you know, 30 seconds to run around the bases and he's <laughs> and, and then, uh, shaking hands as it gets around the base. It was all in fun and jest, but, you know, like yeah. obviously a game of footy, you can't be 75 years old and play. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's kind of fun to have that. I understand what you're saying where you, you know, it's more like you're not going to jump on someone's back to make some work. <laughs> yeah. Like a, yeah. like an old timers game would be, or a, one more thing I want to ask you about. We may have talked about this before. I don't remember. Uh, you mentioned <laughs> earlier, um, the Brownlow medal. Just explain. Yes. So the Brownlow medal is the fairest and best player of the competition. So like the competition's MVP. Um, but the caveat being that you can't have been suspended during that season because it's fairest and best. Um, so it's, it's a big deal. Winning a Brownlow is a very big deal. Um, there are a few players I think that could win it this year. It's not a cut and dry case like a few other years have been. Um, I think Lockie Neal will start very, very strongly in the vote. So, uh, it's votes by the umpires on the night, on the day of the game. They'll give a 3-2-1 vote as a collective and of the best three players on the field. And they're read out one by one by Gillen McLaughlin every single game. Um, so I think, yeah, Lockie Neal up at Brisbane, he's had an incredible season. It tends to be midfielders that win it because they're in and around the ball a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, but Buddy Franklin has come second uh, a few years ago, which was very exciting. Um, the issue that a lot of teams that have really even contributions have is that uh, players steal votes from one another, so they don't win it. But as a as a club, they get a lot of votes, and the Swans tend to have that happen. Geelong tend to have that happen. Um, yeah, Lockie Neal, I think, is uh, in with a chance. I think Nat Fife will come home quite strongly uh, this season. I think Marcus Bontempelli is going to pull a lot of votes late in the season as well. Um, but there are players like Travis Boak who could be in with a chance. There are a few others like that. So it's going to be a really interesting vote. I do hope Lockie Neal gets it because he's had an amazing season. And it's been a little bit underrated just because of the excitement around Brisbane as a whole, not just him. Um, but, yeah, it could be interesting. Yeah, it should be interesting. I remember watching the, the ceremonies last year for the first time and – uh, yeah, that was uh, they went round by round announcing, uh, you know, who was got the votes for each round. And, uh, now, the umpires vote for that. So they vote for it after the game is over. Correct. Is that yep. what you're saying? Yep. Now, how many umpires are there? are there? I know there's the goal umpire. Right. And then there's the one on the field. Is there only three or is there more than that? So there's the two goal umpires, one at each end. Correct. Um, then there's three on field umpires. Okay. Then there's a substitute umpire in case one of them gets injured, which happens. And then I believe there are four boundary umpires. So um, vote then collectively after each game. Collectively, collectively they gave the three, two, one. Um, I think I don't know if there's an American sport that has a similar field size to NFL. Not really. Yeah, so that's why we have so many umpires is because the field is huge. Yeah, I wasn't sure if there was that many because, you know, they don't seem to identify them very well, you know, before the game. Uh, yeah, because uh, they cop a lot of flack. <laughs> yeah, 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 I understand. I mean, uh, it just seems like, you know, I knew there was the goal umpires and there's always the one I always see 
you know, with the ball or, you know, throwing the ball up or bouncing the ball, that type of thing. Yeah. And I never noticed any other ones than one. I'm like, I can't be one for the size of field. <laughs> <laughs> so the boundary umpires are the ones that throw it over their heads if okay. it goes out of bounds. So yes. they're not the ones that are on the field. They're the ones that stay along the boundary yeah. line. Right. And then the three on the field will take a different part of the ground. So they'll have maybe the forward half, the back half, and one in the middle. And they'll hand off. You'll hear them say, you, and it'll hand off to the next umpire who then becomes the controlling umpire. Right. And they can be overruled by another umpire if they see it from a different angle, but they're, they're controlling the play at that point. And then, of course, you get to hear the play on all the time. Yes. <laughs> That's Talk Too about much. <laughs> and I, I'm going to make the assumption that's where the name comes from for your radio. That and, yeah, that and music, it kind of yeah, fit both. Yeah. 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 Awesome. All right. We're talking to Gemma Bestiani, and she is uh, the creator and maintains uh, Play On Radio. Check it out, Play On Radio. There's an app for it. You can check it out online. And uh, she also... Uh, has her own podcast. It's called Australian Jams Podcast, which deals with music from Australia. And I would say based in electronic style of music, would that be uh, I, not necessary? It's just any Australian music. So, But I quite like electronic music, so okay. I tend to use a lot of that. Um, <laughs> but every, every two weeks, I, it is a new episode. I have a guest, so they're a local musician or they're involved in the industry somehow or they're big fans and they're involved in footy like Lloyd is. Um, so I have them choose three, three recently released Australian songs. I choose three recently released Australian songs and we chat about those six songs. And you can hear that each and every week on the radio station too. I Correct. know... Uh, there's a big time difference, but go ahead and tell your time and they can get on time, buddy, and figure it out. <laughs> so it's uh, 3 p.m. every Monday, Melbourne time, Australian Eastern Standard Time. Um, but it's also a podcast by the Wednesday. So you'll be able to stream it either way. Can't go wrong. I enjoy it. I thank you <laughs> thank for uh, entertaining me for the last year. I've been <laughs> the podcast and the radio station. And I want to thank you again for coming on uh, Radio MVP's podcast and uh, talking footy with me. And uh, hopefully we can uh, hook up here uh, sometime during the finals and, uh, and chat yes. about what's going on then. That would be amazing. All right. Gemma, thank you once again. Uh, that is uh, Gemma Bastiani. Check her out on Play On Radio and Australian Jams. One last question. What the hell? We'll throw one more in there. Give me <laughs> – since you said three, this is putting on a spot here. Give me three artists I need to listen to uh, from uh, your radio station. Uh, so Angie McMahon has just released her debut album, and it is beyond incredible. It's called Salt. Um, she's been doing a lot of tours of the U.S. recently as well, so definitely check Angie McMahon out. Um, Thelma Plum has just released an album as well, and it's amazing. She's kind of not been around for a little bit. She's taken some time off and dealt with a few things, and she's come back with this beautiful album. Um, oh, third one, third one. A, a good friends of mine, a band named Kilns, K-I-L-N-S. They are local guys from Melbourne. They're incredible. They've just released their third single on Friday. Um, it's called So Close. 
but all of their songs are so beautifully written and yeah, they're just amazing. So those are the three, but I wish I could tell you more. All right. Maybe we'll do that one day. Have you come on and just talk music. Cause I can do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> Gemma, sure. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for all your time and wonderful uh, information and, and, and dealing with me, this, uh, this guy from Youngstown, Ohio, who happens to love the game of footy. No, no, it's great. And I appreciate that you support women's footy as well because we need more people doing that. All right. That's Gemma from Melbourne, Australia. And we thank her again for coming on Radio MVP. Hey, thank you, Gemma, for taking your time once again and talking to us about AFL. It was uh, informative, to say the least. And uh, a lot of questions there I had for her all over the board because I, I only get to talk to her a couple times a year. I should probably try to talk to her more often. That's my fault. Uh, she seems very open to it. And uh, if you have a chance... I honestly recommend this highly. Everyone knows about Western Reserve Radio. It's, uh, it's on the internet. iRadio. She has her own radio station called Play On. Mm-hmm. She has her own podcast called Australian Jams. Check that out. Check out her, her radio station, Play On Radio, which uh, has information about uh, her two favorite things, music and football. The footy, exactly. So, uh, and I love the name "Play On" because when you listen to the games and we watch the games on TV, the the umpires, the officials—I think they call them umpires—they'll uh, hear uh, you'll hear them in the background say, "Play on, play on, play on." No, no, I'm serious. Yeah. That's that's a cue that the game continues. They're not going to stop it to not to make it dead right. Action. Yeah, yeah, that keeps the action going. And all of a sudden, you'll hear "Play on, play on." <laughs> And that's where that name comes from. So it's 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 actually a really cool uh, connection. And uh, anytime you, you hear a great song, you want to play it yeah, on radio, yeah, anyways, going, right? Yeah. So why not? So uh, thanks again, Gemma. And uh, now we're gonna keep the football talk going. Yeah. You mentioned it earlier. The Premier League begins this week. Believe it or not, Anthony. Already? Yeah, I know. We talked about that earlier, and it begins on. Let me get the right date, I believe. All right, the Premier League begins this Friday on the 9th at 3 p.m. our time as Liverpool takes on Norwich City. Already? Yes, and it has begun. The Liverpool, the Reds are back. <laughs> I'll be listening into the car on the, uh, on the internet. So uh, I'll be driving around Youngstown listening to that. And then the next matchup, is Saturday uh, the 17th, and that is at 10 a.m., and that might be my first opportunity. And let's invite you right now uh, to go down to Westside Bowl and, and watch that match. When is it? It's next. It's the following Saturday. The 17th? The 17th. I will be out of town. Oh. I'll be out of town in Toledo. Oh, okay. we got to move my sister in the graduate school. Well, that's important. Yeah, she yeah. would... Uh, I don't think she'd... Uh, Maybe, how about this, the 24th? What time? Uh, it would be 1230. <sighs> you know who kicks off that day, don't you? Is that why you? Why is you kicks off? Why is you kicks off oh. that day, yep. But that's, uh, that's the ESPN game? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah, the ESPN game. We're going to talk about that real yeah. quickly. Uh, the Penguins, obviously, that's... It's two weeks away. That's the kickoff classic. Yep. What are they calling it? Uh, the... Guardian kickoff classic. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a historic Crampton Bowl. It's uh, this is our first year playing in this. It's week zero. Uh, you talked about last year, and, and uh, we'll get into it as the high school football season goes on. Pennsylvania has a week zero. Right. Well, College Triple now adopted a week zero to. Oh, you're get, kidding me. To get well, it's not like a scrimmage. It, yeah. You know, they still count. But just to, it's more so for the one delay programs okay. to to be uh, to be showcased uh, at noon that day. Villanova plays Colgate, um, and then a couple hours later we play Samford. And the winner of that game actually gets a trophy to take home. Yes, they uh, yes. they announced that a couple weeks ago, and uh, yeah, it's and then we get the seven, we get the following week off, I believe. It's odd. It's a weird schedule this year. Um, That's all right. We got to play in a, in a huge kickoff. Yeah, this is a big game for our yeah, program. Yeah, it's going to be on ESPN for a school the size of Youngstown to have that opportunity. It's awesome. We're going to be the national spotlight, and uh, Tim and I will talk more about uh, this game as well as every other game. We're going to have to we, talk about the, the podcast. We will do the Ice Castle Report. Uh, where Tim and I preview and break down each week's opponent. and uh, But we won't sit here and bore you with, he was 10 of 17 for this. We'll just, we'll give you our keys to the game, what we, you know, what we saw from the game overall. And uh, we'll try to do a little bit better with our predictions this year, huh? Yeah. yeah. And uh, hoping that our first edition of the Ice Castle Report is a little more upbeat. Uh, uh, Penguins, a lot of positivity coming from camp so far this year. So far, knock on wood, guys are healthy. Uh, the defense seems to be playing well, and the offensive line seems to be coming together. So, uh, Tim and I will be coming with, with you guys' cast report shortly as we preview Sanford and look ahead to the Penguins home opener, where they will maybe, we're not sure yet, unveil the Don Constantine Memorial Press box. Maybe we'll get it done. Maybe not, depending on the Youngstown, Ohio weather. You never know. I think they'll have it done. I, I think it'll be so. a push. It'd be a crown jewel, too. I, well, you know, chances are really good when um, the Mooney-Ursling game comes about. We will we'll be, be in, in that. that. Exactly. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun this year, Tim. So, I think yeah. football season is going to be a lot of fun this year. It's hard to believe I it's mean, here. from high school it, to the, the NFL. It, you're right. We were walking in Thursday night, and I'm like, my God, football's here. Like, we, we're just talking in May. There are guys on the field in helmets and shoulder pads and, and pants. Like, it's here. It's here. And it's amazing. And I looked up and I said, I'm going to be in that press box in two weeks. Yeah, a lot of stuff coming here on uh, Radio MVP. Uh, as we mentioned, the, the Penguin Report. Yep. And also we'll have the high school football wrap-up show mm-hmm. that I do every year, the uh, the scoreboard show. Yep. Plus, we'll have our normal podcast. And uh, you never know if I get Vike uh, in the right mood. Maybe yeah. we'll even start a, a Reds yeah. podcast for Liverpool. I don't know. It's, it's a possibility. I'm not saying it's going to happen. Three podcasts a week. We're you gonna, ready? Yes. I, it's going to be busy. We're going to be busy. We're going to have a lot of fun, though. It's, it's a lot of football coming like our way. Like you said, it's not work. It, this is all fun. Yeah, and uh, we're going to do it when we appreciate all your support. So if you did get this through iTunes or any other podcasting service that has ratings, please uh, give us a nice rating and review. We'd appreciate it as uh, we continue to try to grow Radio MVP. And uh, we, Wow. Over 5,000 downloads so far mm-hmm. since we've begun. We're doing all right for a small little podcast uh, for Northeast Ohio. Yep. 
And uh, now talking around the world with sports. Yeah, we, yeah, yes, we exactly. are. We're covering all bases. Exactly. We got Premier League. Go Reds. We got the Magpies down in Australia. And, of course, we have the Penguins here in Youngstown. Yep. And we, uh, we cover it all. So it should be a lot of fun. Indians up in Cleveland. Uh, the Browns actually kick off tomorrow. Indians are up 3-1 right now. Yes. So we're looking good. Yeah. It should uh, be a fun time up in Minnesota next week. Four games. Four of ten. Four is it right here. Let's get going. It's time to scoreboard watch, Tim. It's time to get that phone it's, out. It's time. It's actually, I'm going to look at the standings for the first time in about four months. Uh, I don't do it very often. don't believe in it. <laughs> Not it's necessary. It's time, Tim. It's time. All right. For Anthony, I'm Tim. And my thanks again to Gemma for coming on the, the podcast. We'll talk to you soon as we continue right here on Radio MVP.